Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris, and three things I'm gonna talk about today. Number one, this amazing lime green shirt, which I'm sure you noticed within the first half a second of watching this, and you just thought, I just have to have that shirt. Well, I'm gonna talk about that. I'm gonna tell you how you can get one. <laughs> Most of you probably don't want it. Um, but there's kind of a, a funny story behind this. Number two, I'm going to give you kind of a shotgun of news items in regard to the evangelical social justice movement. I know some of you, uh, you listen to this when you're, in one case of listener, you're out farming or you're driving, you're commuting, and you're not reading stuff. And I've been writing a lot lately. So I want to share some of the things I've been writing. And if you have even read it, I'm going to give you some additional perspective. And then uh, last, I want to just briefly try to touch on something that I get asked a lot. And I may do a whole episode on it someday, but um, it, it, it's in regard to approaching a pastor or a leader about this movement and concerns. Because uh, a lot of laymen are getting shut down and I just want to encourage you and give you some ideas. So uh, let's start with first thing first, this wonderful shirt. Now, this shirt was not first rocked by me, I have to say. Um, it may have been my idea, but it was actually worn best by this gentleman, A.D. Robles. I just have to say, he looks amazing in this lime green shade. and. <clears throat> He wore this uh, two days ago on his show, and surprisingly, there were some fans of his who thought, man, I gotta get one of those shirts, and I was not expecting that. And I'm gonna just tell you the reason that he has the shirt and that I have the shirt. Uh, <clears throat> I mean no disrespect by, uh, by, by having this, by the way. Um, I wasn't even gonna wear it, but there is, if, if you've been following my my uh, my videos and A.D. Robles videos, you know that both of us have uh, parody videos of interviewing for the Gospel Coalition. And uh, one of the things that um, I wanted to do was a, a, a follow-up to that. And and by the way, I work for the Gospel Coalition, if you remember correctly, my alter ego. Uh, A.D. Robles, I think, is still, his application is being reviewed. But I sent this um, this, this shirt to him, and I have one, uh, to, to work on a project. And I just forgot to tell him about it. <laughs> I just sent him the shirt, and I didn't even talk about why we have these shirts. And so he just wore it. And, you know, it's fine that he wore it. I think it's good that he wore it because he rocks it. And I had no clue anyone else would want this shirt. And I have a suspicion uh, that those who want this shirt want to go to Big Eva conferences and wear it. And, and if you do that, I'm not endorsing you doing that, by the way. But if you do it, you may be surrounded by a group of prayer warriors who are going to denounce your lack of winsomeness and pray for your soul. So uh, <laughs> it's just... If you do do that and you have a story, please tell me. Um, anyways, uh, it is a gospel coalition, but not really because it is the social gospel coalition. And instead of a C, we have a hammer and a sickle here. And and yes, there have been some good things that have come out of the gospel coalition, um, but they have been one of the main organizations promoting kind of a neo-Marxist idea. And uh, and A.D. Robles has, has ragged on that. I've ragged on it a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, this is for a future project, so stay tuned for that. Here's the big announcement, though. If you want one of these shirts, for the next month, until the end of September, if you become a Patreon supporter of mine, for any price, you can you know do a dollar if you want. Um, I, I'm not suggesting a dollar. I mean, more than a dollar would be nice. Like five bucks would be nice. But 
But see, I'm, I'm becoming a capitalist right now, um, and I, I don't talk about this much. But uh, but I, when I saw that people wanted it, I thought, well, I can get you a shirt. I can get you a shirt if you become a Patreon supporter. So I'll give it to you in your size, the same lime green, the same uh, white emblem, and then you can uh, go to Big Eva events and cause trouble. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we're just having some fun on that, and uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about some serious things now, but uh, uh, I figured I'd mention that. Um, one of the things that uh, I've been writing about, and by the way, you can find these articles at enemieswithinthechurch.com, is crew. And I'm sitting on some information that I'm going to release probably later in the week or next week that is just amazing, shocking, uh, that crew is involved in this. But um, I'm going to give you kind of half a red pill <laughs> before I release that because it, it, it's this is worth looking at. Uh, <clears throat> this is happening all over the place, and I think this is a good example. Uh, crew platformed Sandra Maria Van Opstel in July for their staff conference. And you know she's she's a social justice warrior. Uh, she in the speech says that hey we can't raise the banner of Jesus and stay silent while we experience another Holocaust. And you might think well yeah abortion nope nope she wasn't talking about that she was talking about ICE agents. ICE agents are the Gestapo and she put that basically compared them to the Gestapo in a tweet. And, and here's the concerning thing. Here's the concerning. It's what's underneath this. Obviously these are political things she's saying to a group of staff at. Uh, colleges who are supposed to be promoting Christianity. This is an evangelistic conference. That's the theme. But um, but she had this to say. This is the concerning thing to me. Now, listen to these words and see if this is true. In the book of Amos, over and over again, he tells us that trampling on the poor through purchasing through companies that exploit workers and harm and endanger human lives and cause war for our luxurious jewels and our electronic batteries is not worship. Now then, there's application and there's interpretation. And I think in the context, she's talking more about interpretation, but, uh, but let's just say it's application. She's just applying it, even, even if it's application. Is that a fair application of the book of Amos? Did you get that reading the book of Amos? Talking about corporate greed and the subjection of workers and say, like, wh where is that in the book of Amos? Now then, here's how she got there. This is the dangerous part. She studied the book of Amos for 10 years, and then she learned Hebrew, and still studied the book of Amos, and then she didn't really fully understand it until she went to Statesville Prison. And then she began to see Amos differently when inmates showed her from an oppressed perspective what they thought the book of Amos was about. Think with me a minute about this. You can study a passage and not understand it until you get an oppressed perspective. This is dangerous. This destroys the clarity of Scripture. This puts a barrier in the way of someone understanding Scripture because now you have to go get a perspective, another perspective. It destroys objectivity. It's just, it's acid. It's postmodern acid. And it is being promoted and championed in a keynote at Cruise 2019 um, conference. I have more to share about Crew, but let's move on. Um, to the next uh, item of business. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary removed the Paige Patterson portraits in Patterson Hall, which is named after Paige. Uh, for those who don't know, Paige Patterson was a hero to the conservative resurgence. Uh, he, here's a picture, by the way, if you're watching. Uh, he um, 
uh, basically helped Southeastern get out of the pickle. And he is, well, he was a hero. And even in 2014, uh, a lot of glowing things said about him on campus from uh, Danny Aiken, the president, and the provost, and the vice president. But now, where him and his wife had a picture, uh, there is a map, three maps, actually, of the different floors of Patterson Hall. Now, I know, because I was a student there, that you don't need a map to get around Patterson Hall. For years, no one's needed a map that I can tell. I never needed a map. I never heard of anyone needing a map. It's very straightforward. It's not a big building. Now they have a map there. And the... Um, this has been, what, over a month now, and these pictures have not reemerged anywhere else on campus. They're gone. And they were in a place of prominence before. The only thing that I can conclude is they don't want Paige up there because of the hit piece the Washington Post did on him. And this, um, uh, this hit piece was in 2018, I believe, in May, yes. And that's when uh, Danny Aiken, the president, who actually studied under Patterson, um, emailed the faculty. I received this email and said he was going to take swift action. And uh, and then safe space uh, flyers uh, started appearing in the student center. And within about, it was a, a little over a week, they had a panel on recognizing and responding to abuse in the church. And from a student's perspective, this all looked like Paige is guilty. And we hadn't heard from him. You know, he's denying it now. But now, actually, now, currently he's in court. He can't say anything. But he had denied that this this happened. And, and, and the allegation is that he had given advice, I guess, to a, a rape victim or a victim of molestation and said that, uh, you know, kind of forgive, stay with the person. It was, some, it was something along those lines. And the Me Too movement just kind of missled him. That's the long and short of it. But the this wasn't like there wasn't a fact check on this. We don't know what actually happened. We're just believing what this this individual said and it's interesting because you would think that people that are that are close to him institutions that have buildings named after him and his portrait hanging there would be loyal to him at least to the point of we are going to give you the benefit of the doubt and that doesn't appear to have happened now he is being deplatformed in a sense his legacy is and that's sad to me and the reason it's sad to me is because I think this acid is going to eat everything. Uh, it, it, you know, there's no man that is perfect out there. Uh, we don't even know if Paige is guilty in this, but there's no man that is. Uh, well, I shouldn't say we know. Um, I know people that are closer to Paige, and I've, I've communicated some with them, and and, and it, it does not appear that the story from this young lady was in, in, accurate. But um, even if Paige made mistakes, which he has, uh, every man has. And his conservative resurgence legacy is still important. Think of King David and what he did. And he repented. Um, but, which, by the way, some of the clips that unrelated to the Washington Post story that came out where Paige Patterson was saying some inappropriate things, uh, or they sounded inappropriate, uh, he apologized for it. Um, just like King David. King David did some worse stuff, right? He murdered. He uh, took a woman who wasn't his wife. And um, he is in the Bible. He is a prominent place. In, in scripture, and his leg, there's a legacy there. Jerusalem's called the city of David. I just don't understand. I do understand. That's the scary part. I do understand. But I don't understand men who think that they can salvage the reputations of biblical heroes and heroes of the faith while doing this. You can't engage in this and do that. And, and, and this acid is going to eat away. It's already eating away George Whitfield, anyone who owns slaves. Um, what about MLK? I mean, MLK is not even an Orthodox Christian, but how much more should this eat at his uh, legacy? I mean, he's got 
I have a dream speech is a good legacy. And Southeastern gave three uh, credit points, uh, th th three, uh, three credits to those who would go out to the MLK conference, MLK 50, and write a paper about it. Didn't seem to be a problem there. And yet this is a man who not only is not orthodox, but engaged in affairs and so forth. Um, there seems to be a contradiction, but I just don't think it, that contradiction can last for long. I think MLK eventually probably will be missled if this thinking keeps going. Uh, and everyone's going to be missled uh, on some level for some kind of flaw. And so do we want to go down that path? That is the question. And so I just bring this up, uh, you know, not because this is a, like a, the biggest deal in the world that these painting is removed, but the ideas behind it, the thinking that led to this, that's what um, concerns me. Moving on, Josh Harris. I got to talk about this. Josh Harris and um, Marty Sampson. Now, Josh Harris uh, is an author, in case you didn't know. He wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, but he wrote a bunch of other books, Boy Meets Girl and Stop Dating the Church. And there's a bunch of books I've read by him. And I found some, some of them helpful. Uh, Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is. I thought it was a very helpful book. Uh, very formulaic, um, but a lot of biblical formulas in there. Now, Josh Harris... I'm going to give you, as, as brief as I can, kind of the trajectory. Uh, two years ago or so, a little over a year and a half ago, Josh Harris did a TED Talk in which he said, yeah, I kissed dating goodbye. That book that I wrote, not a good idea. It's ruined some people's lives. And I'm going to be humble enough to say I'm wrong. It seemed extremely arrogant. I watched the TED Talk. He's saying he's humble the whole time and, and tooting that horn. And, and he's, giving, he's crediting himself with destroying all these lives of people who took his information seriously, his principles in the book. And they applied them and it didn't work out, so he's to blame. Then you have, uh, last year, a documentary that he puts out called I Survived I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And in the documentary, it's very interesting to me, he talks about one of the, the main problem that he had was, you know what, him, he, along with purity culture, idolized uh, marriage and that was wrong we shouldn't idolize marriage because we assume that in order to be fulfilled you have to have sex and in order to have sex you have to be married if you're a christian so everything was about uh, marriage and says we got to stop idolizing marriage you know where these victims these poor single people who are victims and these poor people that didn't have ideal circumstances because like one of the principles in josh harris's book is uh, fathers should be involved in protecting their daughters, right? So the, the the boy who wants to date a girl, he needs to go and talk to the father and she, he needs to protect her. Well, um, what about the girls who don't have fathers? And this is brought up as, oh, my book didn't apply to them. Well, it's like, yeah, of course there's circumstances that are not ideal. Doesn't mean that there is not an ideal circumstance though. But Josh Harris thinks, yeah, that destroys the book. So there's a very pragmatic way of looking at things. But he says, yeah, we, we, I idolize marriage. And that just wasn't good because it left out people that, that couldn't get married. And, and, um, and there's a lot of other interesting things he says. Uh, you can read my article if you want to know more. But, um, but then what happens later this year is he comes out with an uh, Instagram post where he says, yeah, my wife and I are splitting up. And then he comes out with a post where he says, I've left the faith. I'm deconstructing my worldview, essentially. He uses the word deconstructing. That's very key. And then he is marching in an LGBT parade and he posts it. Now, people have speculated, is he homosexual? You know, what led to this? Um, I want to suggest something. And this isn't like a theory. I'm actually, well, it sort of is, but, it, but I'm actually using his words. I'm not like finding something that isn't there. Uh, Josh Harris said he was very much at peace with his decision. He, he never felt more at peace. Uh, Marty Sampson, who is uh, an author for Hillsong Music, says the same thing. I'm so at peace. And both of them left the faith 
um, under circumstances in which they use postmodern language to justify their exit. Marty Sampson uh, said, basically, Christianity doesn't work for everyone. Joshua Harris is saying, yeah, my principles, my biblical principles, they didn't work for everyone. We're leaving now. We, we're, there's other ways uh, to live. And we feel at peace. We feel at peace. At peace with who? At peace with what? Both of them, I'd like, this, here's maybe where I'm getting to theory, but I, I think it's, it's def, <laughs> I'm going to say that this is accurate. They have to be at peace with the world. They're not at peace with God. They're rejecting God. Um, Josh Harris is talking about it. He's on a journey now. He's just trying to listen and figure out. He's just trying to listen yet. And, 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 and he's trying to uh, privately figure things out. But yet he's publicly posting this stuff. And he's telling people he knows uh, it's not Christianity, guys. It's not the faith I was growing. So, so, so it's, it's hypocritical. But, um, but all that to say that he is at peace now with the prevailing culture. The pro-LGBTQ, the anti-Christian culture, he's at peace with them. And so is Marty Sampson. That's why they're at peace. They're at war with God, but they're rejecting God. So they're suppressing that truth while being at peace with the world. That's the only way I know how to explain the, that statement that both of them made. Uh, postmodernism plays a part in this. And one thing I didn't hear anyone else talk about in regards to Josh Harris is the use of the term purity culture. Yes, Joshua Harris used the term deconstruction. Yep. He went to a liberal seminary that would have um, that would have meant something. It would have meant uh, the destabilization of Western culture and understandings of reading the, the the Bible and reality, and you know trying to reinterpret through a new lens and so forth. But here's the thing: in postmodernism, social lenses uh, in the in the modern form, at least, social lenses are what determine truth. Josh Harris used the term purity culture. Now, that term may have been used back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't remember it. I just remember the abstinence movement. I remember, yeah, there's some guys saying, yeah, we shouldn't have a sexual relationship before marriage. That's a biblical principle. And a lot of different various cultures came together to support that. Culture, you know, that, that, that is a word that is just thrown around a lot. But, you know, culture used to mean a dialect and a heritage of some kind and um, you know, there's art that's associated. There's a legacy of you know. There's there's a lot more that goes into culture than just a principle of we're going to have abstinence. So he's calling this purity culture. And in postmodernism, culture, your culture, your 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 uh, race, your culture, these things uh, determine reality for you. So I think it's very interesting. He's using the word purity culture. Um, I don't want to read a lot into that, but I haven't heard anyone else mention that. I think it is significant because Joshua Harris is trading one culture for another. He's saying purity culture didn't work. Uh, Marty Sampson is saying the Hillsong stuff I was in, man, it didn't answer the questions that I really have that Christians really are struggling with. You know, why don't we see miracles? Why, why is there so much pain and suffering? Why, why would God send people to hell? You know, basic questions that probably an average apologist should, could have been able to answer. But he's saying my what I was in, the Hillsong tradition, which, by the way, is, is more anti it's not very intellectual. I should, I'll should. i put it that way. Yeah, didn't have answers to that. I'm rejecting that culture. I'm rejecting it. And they're trading one culture for another. And because in the postmodern scheme, trading a culture for another culture means trading a truth, an understanding of truth. So we're trading one understanding of truth for another understanding of truth, and we're going to find something that works for us. It's postmodernism. That's what it is. And yes, Jesus said there would be apostates, and Paul said it, and John said it. They went out from us because they were not of us. Uh, Jesus will say, 
I never knew you depart from me, you who work, uh, you workers of iniquity. But in this circumstance, and I and I can think of personal people I know that fit this story. That same, I mean, this is happening all over the place. Millennials and those younger are rejecting Christianity, and they're doing it for these reasons, for postmodern reasons. And, um, and, and, and we need to take inventory of that. Uh, we need, I, th- I think they're rejecting um, formulas and they're rejecting a- an understanding of Christianity, which is not perhaps altogether biblical. And it's just a wake-up call that we need to get back to an understanding of Christianity that is biblical. And passion does not necessarily equate with leadership and the ability to lead. And I mean, there are qualifications for being an elder. And... Just because um, someone is talented in a certain area, it does not mean that they should be platformed. Uh, they, they may still be needing to work through some things. And so hopefully this causes us to stand back, reflect, and, um, and move forward in, in a way that is more biblical. And uh, that's all I wanted to really say about that. But Josh Harris, um, Marty Sampson, sad cases. And uh, I know a lot of folks have talked about both of these men, uh, we need to pray for them. Um, I'm a little bit late in commenting on it, but I did want to comment on it. So the other thing I wanted to focus on uh, is, and, and I'll spend the, the rest of my time, uh, m- most of the rest of my time on this before I get to the, the commonly asked question I get, is this article I wrote uh, last night. And it's called, Why Faith Statements Won't Save Us. And there's a picture there that's Al Mohler, and he's bending over, and he's, he's examining uh, Matthew Hall, the provost at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, who's signing a faith statement. Now, I'm going to give you some background here in case you don't know, but here's what's going on. Matthew Hall is a provost at Southeastern. He's a professor there, and he was caught, essentially, he, there, were, there were some videos and articles of him that were exposed where he says that... Uh, I'm a white supremacist. I'll always struggle with that. If you live in America, you're by def- definition affected by racism, and you need to kind of you need to re-educate yourself, and all these critical race theory ideas coming out of his mouth. And these videos and article um, is, by the way, not exhaustive. There's more information out there on Hall, but these were two really like terrible looking ones. They they surfaced, and um, the reaction from Albert Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, was less, it, 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 it was uh, less than what we would have hoped. Let's just put it that way. And I'm going to get into that. But a parallel situation is happening at the same time. Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which I believe is the second biggest after Southern, um, one of his professors, uh, Walter Strickland, who also is on the Resolutions Committee for the Southern Baptist Convention, which gave us Resolution 9 on critical race theory, uh, Walter Strickland had a video of him uh, from 2016, which was kind of surfaced, and it uh, shows him endorsing some heretical books on liberation theology. And he's saying some of them are his favorite book. It, uh, you need to read this book. It'll bless you. It's James Cone. It's J.T. Otis Roberts. And, uh, and I actually went through and I looked at these books, and um, they're bad. They are just bad. Uh, you know... <laughs> I'm not going to beat that dead horse because I've already talked about that in a previous video uh, for those who regularly watch me, but it's not good. And here's the way that both men handled it. First, they covered it up. And um, and, and, and Al Mohler, uh, he was asked about this, and he said that uh, it was scrubbed, 
the video and the article of Hall because he did not think it was helpful. He didn't say because he thought it was, uh, he, he didn't come out against it strong, like, oh, he was so wrong and there's going to be an apology and we're, you know, there, there was none of that. It was just, yeah, it wasn't helpful. And he says, if I thought Hall was a danger to the church, he would not be the provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So he's saying, trust me, nothing to see here. It's scrubbed. You can't, you can't look at the evidence anymore. Uh, Strickland, the same thing, um, except the video of him uh, saying, uh, endorsing these books was on the Jude 3 Project, which is not under the purview of, of the Southern Baptist Convention or Southeastern. So that video in and of itself, you can still go find it. But um, before this happened, uh, Kingdom Diversity's website scrubbed about 90% of the material that incriminated Walter Strickland, William Branch, Matt Mullins, uh, these professors that were pushing critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, liberation theology, this kind of stuff. And, uh, and some of that stuff was saved and you can go find it, but, um, but there's, there's a cover-up at Southeastern as well, uh, just scrubbing stuff from the websites. So that's the first reaction here. The second reaction is there's no admission or apology, no admission of guilt, no apology for these things being said that directly contradict biblical principles. And, and this is what we get. Um, both Al Mohler and Danny Aiken point to the Baptist faith and message and say, well, as long as in a Federalist article they say this. No, it wasn't Federalist. This was uh, Baptist Press, I believe. Um, they say, well, as, as long as we're, we, we all can gather around the Baptist faith and message, we can discuss any of these challenges and we can do it with trust and respect and, and eager cooperation is, is what Moeller said. And Aiken said that we can trust, uh, he, he said, uh, the men who lead our national SBC entities are unapologetically committed to the Baptist faith and message. So we can trust them. Here's the interesting part. I'm going to show you this. Here's what was on Twitter uh, last week. Uh, Walter Strickland reposts Southeastern and what he says is, I'm grateful to be elected to the faculty. It's kind of like tenure. So after this whole situation erupts and he's endorsing liberation theology and there's no apology, there's no, he doesn't renounce it, um, he is then elected faculty. Okay, and then what happens? Well, Southeastern puts this out. As Dr. Scott Pace and Dr. Walter Strickland sign our confessional documents, they agree to teach in accordance with and not contrary to each of them. And we gladly celebrate their election to SEBTS faculty. So they're highlighting that Walter Strickland will not teach contrary to the Baptist faith and message. Well, he's already promoted things that are contrary. Uh, I mean, that, that's just a fact. And, um, and, and I've gone over it in other videos, but he's, he's, he's done this and, and, and it's an undermining. The things he's taught undermine indirectly. It's not like he's directly saying, I refute the Baptist faith and message, but they're postmodern ideas that, that, and liberation theology ideas that actually tinker with the DNA of the gospel. And so, um, so, so I guess there's a lack of discernment because, I mean, that's one option or there's, I mean, I don't want to consider the other option, but let's just say a lack of discernment. Uh, they don't see that these things contradict. And so this is the way of handling it. Look at me. I'm signing this. I'm okay. Um, I'm not going to teach contrary. Same thing happened yesterday. Matthew Hall signs the abstract of principles and he posts a picture of it. And look at these pictures. They're parallel. There's Walter Strickland, Danny Aiken, the president is very serious look. He's looking over the shoulder of Walter and he says, okay, yeah, he's signing it. Same thing with Al Mohler looking over Matthew Hall's shoulder. Okay, he's signing it. And, um, and, and here's the picture uh, for you uh, again. There's uh, Al Mohler, there's um, Danny Aiken. And 
and, and this seems to be the reaction. Look, I'm signing this. I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm uh, doctrinally sound. Now, we might, you know, some of us might think, well, that's great. You know, some of that information that was bad is gone, and now we can move on because, yeah, they're signing the statement of faith. Everything's good. No, 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 no. Don't make that mistake. And, and here's why I'm saying that. Uh, on August 5th, there's an article entitled The Evangelical Reconcilers, How Evangelicalism Reconciles Itself with Modern Liberalism by Stephen Wolf. I did a whole interview with Stephen Wolf. And Stephen uh, talks about three groups. He talks about warriors, capitulators, and then reconcilers. And it's a fascinating article. You can watch my interview with him if you want. But um, long story short, the warriors are, are those willing to directly and openly oppose the ruling class, the liberal elites. Capitulators are those who abandon orthodoxy and they conform to the norms of the ruling class. So, so in the first category, let's put like a Doug Wilson. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. Uh, I'm gonna, Christianity is going gonna, to gonna win. And then um, the capitulators are, are the ones like sojourners, right? They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to just go along with, we're going to make conform Christianity and massage it, and, and, and we're not even going to be orthodox anymore. We're just going to give that up, and we're going to join the leftists. And then you have the reconcilers, and the reconcilers um, conform to the norms of the ruling class and assume a negative posture toward the warriors. So they, they hate the Doug Wilsons, you know, oh, those guys who are just fighting, like, you know, then the guys who want to get involved politically, oh, man, no, you know, we, we are the nice evangelicals. And they try to make evangelicalism not necessarily acceptable or even respectable, but safe for toleration. So they're, they're showing that this is principal pluralism, which is secularism. They're saying, look, um, we are not a threat to the regime. regime. Uh, we, we are going to just keep doing our thing and kind of let us alone. And, um, and, and we'll take care of those warriors for you. So he identifies Danny Aiken as a reconciler in this article. And this article came out in August 5th. So it's before some of this, some of the, the statements and stuff. But one of the, the things that he talks about, because Danny Aiken has a, a pattern of this, is pointing to a statement of faith as, okay, we're okay because of the statement of faith. And, and he points out that's what a reconciler does. Oh, a reconciler um, would look at the place in which Christianity contradicts the liberal establishment, because Christianity contradicts liberation theology. Christianity contradicts critical race theory. And they are going to try to make peace somehow. We can have orthodoxy and we can have that. And that, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the synthesis in the Hegelian dialectic, if you know what that is. And, and here's, here's the chilling stuff. History, I believe, is repeating itself. I think Al Mohler, Danny Aiken seem to fit this reconciliation mold. But the guys that they are platforming let me, let me read you this. 1923, J. Gresham uh, writes a book, Christian, or he puts it out, Christianity and Liberalism. And it's about the modernist controversy, different than what we're dealing with, the postmodernist controversy, but there's some similarities. And he says that, this is a quote from him, he says, um, he complained about uh, liberal theologians trying to obtain the religious advantage of an affirmation of sinlessness in Jesus while at the same time also obtaining the supposed scientific advantages of its denial. So we want this, we want to religiously affirm uh, Jesus and his sinlessness, but at the same time, we, we, uh, science is important and we need to affirm uh, critical, higher criticism. And, and both of these things are important and they contradict one another, but we're going to affirm both. And Jake Reshamation goes on, to see, he, he says, yeah, there's professors who immediately after declaring the Westminster Confession contains the system of doctrine taught in an infallible scripture, many ministers of the Presbyterian Church will proceed to decry that same confession and that doctrine of the infallibility of scripture to which they have just solemnly subscribed. So he's saying they're signing the documents. They're signing them. They're signing the faith statement and then they're contradicting it indirectly. 
guys were seeing the same thing. And Machen's conclusion was that despite the liberal use of traditional phraseology, modern liberalism not only is a different religion from Christianity, but belongs in a totally different class of religions. Guys, here's the point. Critical theory, intersectionality, postmodernism, this, this, this soup that we're swimming in, it's a different religion. It's what the world believes right now. It's the religion of Hollywood and of the entertainment and media business. It's the religion of academia. It's the religion of left-wing politics. This is the religion we're looking at. It's got its own way of, of uh, determining truth and, um, and looking at reality, testing things. It's got its own moral code. It parallels Christianity. Even, even the social justice par um, concept parallels gospel ideas about uh, penance and original sin and so forth. So, so, so here's the thing. We have a parallel religion and it's being promoted in Southern Baptist seminaries and, by the way, other evangelical seminaries. But because those who are promoting it either don't realize it or they're, doing it, they're, they're being subversive, they are able to sign these statements of faith. The institutions that went down the modernist controversy hole and decided they were going to affirm evolution, they're going to Darwinism, they're going to affirm um, uh, higher, criticism, higher criticism from Germany and so forth, like the Wellhausen theory and the, um, the documentary hypothesis and so forth. These organizations, a lot of them, they, they, they left orthodoxy. They left. I should say all of them. They, they completely left. They, they had to eventually compromise. Something had to give. We're watching the same thing. We're watching the beginning of the same exact kind of move. And that should be concerning for us. It really should. Uh, and so um, not, here's, here's my final statement here. The faith statements are necessary. We have to sign them. We have to have professors sign them, but they're not sufficient in protecting Christian institutions from postmodern heresies like critical theory. Uh, they can also function as shields against legitimate criticism. They're supposed to be shields against false teaching, but they can function as, hey, that guy signed the statement. You can't criticize him because he signed the statement. Um, yeah, but he could also be promoting on the left hand, <laughs> signing it with the right hand, you know, signing the statement, but then on the left hand, he could be promoting ideas that undermine uh, what the right hand is signing. And so we need men, in the words of Titus 1.9, who are not just able to exhort in sound doctrine, but are able to refute those who contradict, and it takes discernment. If you can't see how there's a contradiction here in these theologies, because they are theologies, they have theological elements to them, critical race theory and, and so forth, then leading a seminary might not be the thing for you. And, and it's a scary world that we're living in that this is not caught. Um, so, so these men are allowing uh, these ideas to take root in their own backyards to some level. And if they're not, if they're not, if they're opposing it, then we need to know. This stuff is publicly promoted, publicly come out against it. Publicly uh, discipline those who promoted it, or at least say well, they've changed their mind and they're gonna make a statement. They're gonna sign the Dallas statement. You know? And that doesn't even completely protect us because statements don't, like I just, my whole argument is statements don't protect us, especially if you're postmodern, you can just redefine words. That's what the modernists did and postmodernists will have a better time doing it. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, sign the Dallas statement and, uh, and then you know, let's have a, a period where you're, you know, I'm, I'm being as nice as I possibly can be and it's charitable. Probably what needs to happen is some people need to be fired, but in the, in the spirit of charity, everyone has ignorance, everyone has contradictions. So, you know, let's, let's put the best possible face on this. Man, you're going to have a period where you're going to have to yeah, be, be watched a little bit. <laughs> and we're going to make sure that that happens. 
and we're, we're not going to put you in classes where you're teaching uh, those kinds of things or can promote those kinds of things. And you know, it takes do some measure, but no measures are taken. So, so, so that's the reaction to this, and I want to expose that. Uh, Al Mohler and Danny Aiken are covering up the evidence, not admitting or apologizing for what happened, and then pointing to a statement of faith uh, as that's the thing that uh, is going to protect us. It's not. Um, last but not least, uh, wanted to, uh, I'm just doing this kind of off the top of my head. Um, I'm acknowledging some of the people that have sent me this, but there are many of you, and it breaks my heart, who have gone to your pastor or a Christian leader, and you've talked about the social justice movement with them and your, concern, your concerns about it. And many of you have got the door slammed shut in your face, or more likely you've received um, an affirmation that, yeah, that's, that's not good. We don't want that. But you know what? That's not actually happening here. Or such, so-and-so who promoted it, he's a good guy. And, and that's been the, the reaction. And the, the, the that's a good guy reaction. Well, he's a good guy. Um, that's very common, especially if you're in the Southern Baptist circle because they have this kind of good old boys network and it, this fits in with the, ninth, the, the uh, 11th commandment and all that. It's just, there's, there's this the culture of, you know, personality. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because in the Southern Baptist Convention, I noticed this. Uh, I was new to the Southern Baptist Convention when I went to seminary, but you are not allowed to criticize someone in public. You must criticize them in private, even if the error that they promoted was in public. It's not a biblical standard, but it is a cultural thing in the SBC for some reason. And so if something crazy happens, then you're supposed to go behind closed doors, make it right with the person, and that crazy thing that happened could still be up on the website. It could be uh, leading other people into error, but you should be fine because you had a good time talking to them, even if you disagreed, you know, your feelings were... I don't know. I, I actually went through this <laughs> to some extent. And and so um, it, it's a weird culture for those outside of the SBC. You might not even know what I'm talking about, but but this is the way it is. And, and so here's what I wanted to say uh, regarding that. Be as innocent as a dove, but be as wise as a serpent. And I hate to say it this way, but you have got to approach these guys, even if it's a pastor that you love, you have got to approach it with the idea that possibly there's some Pharisaism going on, wanting the chief seats, protecting positions. Um, there's an elitism uh, and your pastor may not even be aware of it, but if you're in that world, that just may be part of it and he may be affected by it. So you need to approach it if you love your pastor and you're trying to um, do this over, like be as convincing as possible, um, depending on your situation, you may want to approach this. I'm, I'm not saying not to approach it. You do need to approach it. You, you have that responsibility. You really do. But you may need to do it progressively. Uh, and, and that will give you an idea of where your pastor's at. But hey, pastor, did you see this? What do you think? Did you see, you know, just to give an example of what I just uh, saw. Hey, you know, our, our uh, church promotes a crew group or we're involved in crew. Did you see what crew just did at their national convention? What do you think about that? And, and, and you know, your pastor may not be aware. Listen to what he says. Listen to his reaction. And, and that's going to give you an indication. You might want to start off a little slow. Now, if things are happening in your church that are just crazy, yeah, you, you really, you, you need to go and have like a heart to heart. You need to say, pastor, 
like I trust you to watch over my soul because you're my shepherd and watch over the souls of my wife and my kids. Um, by the way, nothing against uh, a, a woman approaching their pastor about this or, or even uh, someone who's concerned that might be a minor. But I think husbands really do need to step up and, and do this uh, if, if possible. So I'll go to your pastor and, and express your concern directly. You know, I don't agree with this. And, you know, we're going to have a problem. Like, if you think this is okay, uh, and we will have to figure something out. And it may mean me leaving. And that breaks our heart. We want to avoid that. But I think up front, if something's happening in your church, your pastor needs to know you're serious about it. If it's happening outside, I would approach it slowly and try and try to work with your pastor. You know, he's he's he should have some discernment, but he's not perfect. Give him a little bit of time. But if he doesn't come around, if his immediate reaction is defensiveness, and let's say you take someone else with you who also shares the concern and it's still defensiveness, then um, then then you know where he's at, and you, and you really probably should find another place to worship. I don't say that casually. Uh, you know, I'm saying get in, get other elders involved. Hopefully, it's a church that has biblical elders. Get other people involved. You know, go through the steps that you need to in Matthew 18. But, um, but but you do need to be open to that possibility of leaving. Don't close yourself to that. I know too many people that have uh, written to me questions about, and basically what they want is, I just want my pastor to agree with me. I want my pastor to see what I'm seeing, and he doesn't. And I want to stay at this church. Unfortunately. That's not always going to work out. We would hope it would, but it may not always. Uh, send your pastor resources uh, too. Um, you know, if you know you're going to approach your pastor on something, you could even send him like send him some of the videos uh, from like the Social Justice and the Gospel Conference. Hey, did you look at this Vody Bakum video? What do you think about that? Then maybe a good way to open it up so your your pastor is now thinking along those lines because they don't train you in this in seminary necessarily. You're not learning even in apologetics courses. Um, we, we, we are so late in the game. There's like no books written on this yet. Hardly any. I can't, I have a hard time recommending anything because people, we're, we're so slow in um, responding to this. So most pastors are ignorant, but there are obvious things there are like, and I'm not going to go through all of them now, but there are obvious contradictions that exist between Christianity and social justice. So if you're past, if you've presented those clearly and it, it's clear that your pastor has heard you and they disagree, that's, that's a red flag. Um, so, so I guess what I'm saying is there is not a one-size-fits-all way to approach this, but I think far too many of us are not willing to leave. And at some point, that shouldn't be your first reaction. Um, you leave with sorrow. You leave, um, hopefully, on in the best terms you possibly can, but make it clear the reason. And, and then uh, when you go to another church, you, you want to, before maybe getting involved, you want to talk to the, the elders or the pastor at that church and find out where they're at on this. And, and that's one of the reasons our project, I think, is so important. We're going to try to get a map together of safe churches. Um, and that's still, uh, that would be after the movie is out, probably, that we'd have that. But um, it, it's vital that we have places to go where we can worship with like-minded believers. So... My encouragement is, is that, I guess that wasn't very encouraging. My encouragement is that God is in control and my sheep hear my voice is what Jesus said. And so there is a great shepherd beyond the shepherd in your church, beyond the pastor who's there or the pastors, there's Christ. And Christ will build his church and um, there will always be a remnant. There were, his church will not be destroyed. 
And so there is a place for you. And you may not know where right now. You may feel lost. You may feel like you've tried every church in the community. There is a place, though, um, for you. And I think I, I, I do believe that if you uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God, God's going to provide. He's going to show you a place where you can use your spiritual gifts. And you may feel completely unfulfilled, like you're going to have broken friendships. And, uh, and yeah, it may feel that way, but there will be a dawn after the darkness. Uh, I, do, I do believe that. Um, and I'm not just believing that because of wishful thinking. I just believe God is sovereign and he has sheep everywhere. And so you may be the one that needs to start the new church or something. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, all that to say, I commend those of you who have been brave in this. Thank you for taking a stand because as we just saw, people that are sometimes leading big ministries are not taking a stand. And those who have taken a stand, you know, you, you mean a lot to me. You're an encouragement to me when I hear stories. Uh, last but not least, I think I've said that phrase like three times now. This truly is the last thing, though. Um, I forgot to announce it. Those of you who have stories, so many of you reach out to me with stories. Uh, you were in Acts 29 network. You were in you know, some parachurch ministry. Uh, you were in a denomination, and you have a crazy story of like, wow, I watched the social justice movement just take it over, and I watched crazy stuff happen. Um, I, I think... We're at a point now where we need to start showing some of these, uh, and the movie's going to show it. The enemies, enemies within the church movie is going to show some of this. But I think some of you who have contacted me um, need to, to, uh, to and if you haven't, you need to consider writing down your story, cleaning it up, so it's not just a text message, but an actual article. Go through, this is what happened. If you need to make it anonymous or whatever, try to, try to do that. Um, but we need to start putting some of these stories out there because I'm hearing them all the time. And I think a lot of pastors don't realize there's something going on because in their little world, they don't see it, but it's all around them. The storm is all around them. So I think that is something that could help us get the word out there. It's, it, yeah, we can look at these big organizations and, and what they're doing, but we want to look at from the trenches. What kind of effects are these things having on the ground level? And they are having an effect. So uh, please reach out to me. Uh, you can um, email me, uh, or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can reach out to me through YouTube and leave a comment. Um, and uh, and I appreciate it. Um, I, I will look through those testimonials, and, and if they're good, we'll find a place to platform them. And I may even talk about them on the show. So uh, if you want one of these cool shirts, then uh, become a Patreon subscriber, uh, supporter. You can go to the info section, and there's a link to Patreon and uh, get set up there with your lime green shirt. Uh, let, let's, let's look at A.D. Robles one more time. I mean, look, look at this guy uh, in his, I mean, isn't this, this is just, guys, this is the new thing. This is the new thing. Anyway, <laughs> my wife thinks it's the ugliest color. But uh, <laughs> hey, that, the Gospel Coalition chose the color. I didn't choose it. But all right, I've, I've, I've said enough. God bless. And until next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.